You're listening to the Farm Report Podcast with Jake and Corey, brought to you by Indians Baseball Insider and broadcast on the Smoke Signals Podcast Network. We're talking tribe. Glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, Editor-in-Chief for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Farm Report Podcast, the show where we talk prospects and um, all the minor league uh, headlines and storylines and news and notes, everything prospect-related we're going to get to here. And joining me as always to talk uh, Tribe Prospects is my friend and co-host, uh, IPI contributor Corey Christen. Corey, how's it going? Uh, I just understand you just got back from uh, the Eastwood Field. Yeah, soggy Eastwood field at that. The rain's really hit northeast Ohio over the past couple days. I know the rubber ducks ran into some rain trouble uh, yesterday as we record this on um, day late because of some weather troubles and some scheduling conflicts. But um, Mahoning Valley, yeah, they're back in back in first place in not just the division but in the entire New York Penn League. They took over the best record in the league today. On Tuesday, with a rain-shortened one-nothing win in five innings, um, and then the team that they were chasing lost the Hudson Valley Renegades, the affiliate of the Rays. So, um, yeah, good things, good things coming from Mahoning Valley, and um, we got a lot to talk about, obviously, with those with those guys coming up here a little bit. But good to be back, as always, Jay. Yep, uh, good to be back talking prospects. Uh, last week, uh, at this time, uh, we were talking about the. Uh, Right around this time, uh, we were talking about the Indians trading for Brad Hand and uh, Adam Simber. And, of course, in order to do that, they had to – in order to do that, they had to part with their top prospect, Francisco Mejia, which, uh, as we know, was a lot to give up in a lot of respects based on him being a top prospect in the organization, obviously, but also one of the top prospects in all of baseball. But – you know, as we talked about with uh, our pal Justin on uh, Smoke Signals last week uh, in our trade reaction uh, roundtable discussion, we were talking about the uh, weighing the costs versus the benefits, and we, I think we're, we were all pretty much agreed that the uh, costs, that the benefits definitely, at least on paper, outweigh the costs for now. So uh, let's discuss this and attack it from the uh, minor league side of things. Do you... Do you, are, do you still, uh, now that you've had a chance to uh, uh, digest this trade a little bit more, uh, do you still believe that this is the uh, right move for the Tribe and that Mejia was, was he worth giving up for uh, what the Indians got in return? Well, first of all, those that are listening, if you haven't heard, it was Jake, me, and then, uh, as he said, Justin Lada, go check the previous Smoke Signals podcast out because we kind of went full circle on the whole deal from the prospect angle of giving up Mejia to getting two relievers like the Indians did and, and how friendly the deal might or might not have been. So first of all, go check that out uh, once you're done wrapping up with us here. But on the prospect side, giving up just Francisco Mejia, you know, when you heard that they, the Indians acquired Brad Hand, who's a two-time all-star with two years of control left, and on top of that, the gravy on all this, in my opinion, as great as 
getting Brad Hand is, is getting Adam Simber, who's a rookie with five years left on his contract. That's insane to get a reliever with that much control. So when you hear on the surface that the Indians get those two guys with the contract scenarios there and with how good Brad Hand is, with the kind of praise that Adam Simber gets from his mechanics, and then you see the reliever market hasn't really picked up yet. You know, Washington made a move for Kelvin Herrera. They gave up a couple of really good prospects. But then you see all the Indians gave up was Francisco Mejia. And I'm not pushing off Mejia as this, you know, as a bad baseball player by any means because he's still phenomenally talented. But to see the Indians only giving up Mejia, keeping Tristan McKenzie and Shane Bieber and Nolan Jones and other top prospects like that in the system, as an Indians fan, you've got to be thrilled to see that. And from the prospect standpoint, you have to start thinking about, well, you dealt your top guy that has been in this system for a number of years. Where do you go from here? Well, first things first, it, just kind of breaking this down with the catching depth, Logan Ice is finally in Akron at AA. It looks like he's kind of back on track. Um, he was a comp, I believe it was comp A pick. Um, a, a couple of years ago on Oregon State. So he was drafted, point is, he was drafted relatively high, suffered some injuries, sustained some injuries, and now he's back playing baseball. And he just got the promotion to Akron last week. Now in Columbus, you have Eric Haas, who, Jake, you and I have talked about him in great lengths on this podcast and even on smoke signals to a degree with Jan Gomes or Roberto Perez talk. But now this slides Eric Haas into the third catcher, on the system depth chart, including the major leagues in Cleveland. Now when the 40-man rosters expand, Eric Haas is going to be the number one guy to give Gomes and Perez some rest. And quite honestly, if you're an Indians fan, you got to get to know Eric Haas pretty quickly. Last season, he had a breakout season. Uh, I believe it was 25 home runs. It was in that region. So he had a pretty good power outage of, of a season. Um this season, he kind of started off slow, and I think he and Mejia started off slow. And then a couple weeks ago, we, we were talking about him in pretty great lengths on this show about how he's picked it up. He uh, was on the MLB Pipeline Team of the Week a couple weeks ago, and he's getting some national recognition for kind of being back on the map as a hitter. So you couple two hitters in eight days. So we speak about Eric Haas as developing as a hitter, but I think the best thing about about him in the kind of in the kind of stage of his career right now. He's a really effective game manager. So for the sake of the catching depth and system, coupled with the fact that just voting first round, I think the Indians catching depth is still pretty solid even without Mejia. What do you think, Jake? Well yeah, and that's one of the things I brought up uh, when the trade first went down is you know, everybody's Everybody's kind of on edge with uh, giving up prospects right now because of what Jesus Aguilar is doing in Milwaukee. And, you know, that's, there's, there's some good uh, reasoning behind that because uh, the Indians actually, I think Terry Francona himself came out and said that they wish they could have handled Agu the Aguilar situation better um, and given him more of a chance in Cleveland. But at the same time, though, um, you know, you you can't just automatically assume that uh, giving up prospects is, is going to uh, mean they're going to be an all-star. I mean, Mejia's got the kind of talent where he could be that, that type of player who is going to be an all-star, a perennial all-star for years. But 
at the same time, you can't have it both ways. You know, there's the people who talk about, uh, you know, the Indians need to go for it. They needed to uh, sell all their assets to try to build a winner and, and get to that World Series uh, title. But uh, I don't know if it's the same people making this making this argument about, you know, giving up Mejia and how, you know, they're giving up a future all-star and might be it might be too much, but it, it, if it is, you, you can't have it both ways. You can either have it one way or the other. It's just, uh, and I think that in this particular case, if the Indians are able to win a World Series uh, with Brad Hand and or Adam Simber, uh, I think that they, that the deal will be worth it no matter what Mejia does in San Diego. So, uh, and then I, as I was to circle all the way back to where I started with this point, um, it's not like you said the Indians have zero uh, catchers uh, behind uh, Mejia, and or that they've jeopardized the catching position for the future because that's simply not the case. Eric Haas has really stepped up his game uh, the last couple of years. I mean, in, in July right now, I think he has uh, uh, six home runs so far this month, and we're only. Uh, here on uh, July 24th, so he's matched a lot of his production from the first few months, uh, some of it the first few months combined, so uh, he's, I think he's up to 14 home runs now on the year, uh, and he did hit 27 homers last year with the uh, whole launch angle revolution that he was a part of, and I think that with that, him being a pretty good hitter in his own right, got good pop can hit for average. Uh, he's probably going to strike out a lot, but, you know, he he can be a serviceable bat. But at the same time, he can also be a really good uh, game manager. I think a, I most would say a better game manager than Mejia is. So the fact that, that Haas can come up here and still be maybe not – at the same level as Gomes or Perez defensively, because those guys are are really good and hard to uh, hard talents to replicate. But uh, Haas can come up and be a good game manager, and we've heard a lot of uh, high praise for how he does things, uh, handles pitching staffs, how he uh, uh, calls a game. He he does very well in that regard. So uh, I, my 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 uh, encouragement to Indians fans is. Yeah, the losing Mejia is probably going to uh, be painful at some point, depending on what he does in his career. But at the same time, let's see what Eric Haas can do and give him a chance. Oh, and let's not forget about uh, the latest uh, tribe catcher to enter the farm system, Bo Naylor. Of course, uh, many know him as Noah Naylor, but now he goes by Bo, I guess. Or maybe he's always gone by Bo. It's just uh, uh, now we're uh, getting the less formal version of his name, and that's what he prefers to go by. But anyway... Uh, he's doing pretty well down in the Arizona League right now, and uh, people are pretty high on his hitting, and he people have already said good things about his defense down in Arizona, so um, it's not like the Indians have nothing behind Mejia as far as catching depth. Uh, I'd say quite the contrary. They have somebody who they can go to next in line should one of Gomes or Perez falter and Eric Haas. And then if worse comes to worse, uh, a couple years down the line, they can always go to uh, Bo Naylor, hopefully, and uh, have him be the uh, catcher of the future. I like the point you make about circling back to what the potential win or loss could be in this trade because I I think that we're not truly going to know who – quote-unquote, won or lost the trade either way for a long time. 
if the Indians win a World Series, they automatically win the trade. If they lose the World, if they lose a World Series, doesn't necessarily mean they lose the trade. It's a move that you have to make. And when you're a contending team who's clearly behind Boston and Houston and the Yankees, you got to do something. And this, I hope, is just kind of the start of. Hope, uh, hopefully there's another move or maybe two that the Indians front office makes to address, I think, various issues. But um, circling back to Bo Naylor, who the Indians, again, first-round draft pick this season, already in the Arizona League. Looks like he has some pop in him. He's he's already performing at a pretty decent level for his first pro action. And I wonder if, and you could weigh in on this, please, Jake, if the Indians drafting Naylor was a sign that they were more willing to trade Mejia or if the news we found out about Mejia later on about his kind of unwillingness to move to the outfield or the third base, if that played in, I feel like it's kind of of, uh, ingredients from all these little things that have happened over the past year with Francisco Mejia, whether it's the concept of him not wanting to play outfield or the Indians scouting and drafting Bo Naylor in the first round is perhaps a precaution. I feel like there's a lot, uh, there's like a, not really a lot, but I feel like there's a deeper storyline embedded in this entire scenario. What do you think? I would definitely agree. And there's only so many things we can comment on. Cause only, there's only so many things we know for sure. Or at least we know on the record, but uh, I think that it's all a combination, as you said, the drafting Naylor, I think, uh, speaks volumes now looking back. And then the fact that the Indians actually went public with their uh, criticism of Mejia for the first time. And I think that uh, that, said, that said a lot about his standing with the organization because I think we can, we can say just based on our experience and dealing with people from the organization that let's just say that, that they, they were growing tired of Mejia's act for a little while now. And this has been going on much longer than just this past year, this pa- these past two years. There's been there's been issues on and off the field that they've had to deal with. So, uh, um, well, it doesn't. I'm not saying that justifies trading him based on the talent that he p- still possesses, and you know he can always uh, he, he can always atone for uh, past actions at any point. Uh, I still say that uh, based on. The depth that the Indians have and the needs that they had that they filled with this trade, I think, is totally justified in, in what they did. At least that's the way it looks right now. I mean, we'll see how uh, Hand and Simber perform, but based on their track records, I think that they'll perform very well, or at least well enough to, to uh, justify the trade. And I think even if Mejia, who, by the way, the Padres farm system now is a storyline in itself. I mean, they have six, seven, eight guys, maybe ten guys that are just mind-blowingly good as far as prospects are concerned. So um, you might want to be on the lookout for the the San Diego Padres within a couple years. But let's say Mejia becomes a superstar and the Indians don't win a World Series. You know, some will say, well, the Indians flat-out lost this trade. But on the flip side, I still think – in some regards, given the scenario, given the situation, and the, and the status of where the Indians are within the American League, this is a move that had to be made. And if it means giving up Francisco Mejia, who, as you said, the Indians went public about with some comments that were kind of like, well, this makes sense. You know, the trade, him being traded 
makes sense. And given you know the the dynamic of Eric Haas and drafting Bo Naylor, I feel like it just makes sense for either side. This deal does. And um, as we mentioned, for the Indians catching depth, I don't think it's being drastically hurt. Obviously, giving up your top prospect at that not just at that position, but in your entire system is it's not going to be um, you know it's not going to be settled for a while, but. Given that you have the depth that you do and what they've prepared for, I feel like the Indians catching depth is still okay within the system. Well, see, we talked. Let's look back at the uh, Andrew Miller trade for a second. They gave up two pro- top prospects there, and uh, Justin Sheffield and Clint Frazier. And uh, the the system obviously suffered. They're not ranked as high as they were, but I I would say from a talent standpoint, they recovered pretty well with the. Uh, the the uh, guys that they drafted and the guys that are coming up now, I think they still have a pretty good uh, uh, crop of talent to work with, and I get that's what you have to uh, that's what you have to trust. You have to trust that they're uh, going to continue to dra- to draft good talent and be able to uh, to restock the farm system. So I would say I would say looking at the system now, it's. Yeah, we got to wait for the dust to settle to see where things stand now. But obviously, Tristan McKenzie is a top prospect now, and you know Bradley probably moves up to number two. Maybe Shane Bieber's number three, although he's up in the majors and probably won't be much longer for the prospect list. And uh, but this opens the door on the uh, the prospect depth chart for guys like uh, Andrew Kalika or Eli Morgan or. Uh, Luis Oviedo, Luis Oviedo, guys who are, you know, still kind of on, in a way, on the outside looking in. I think that trading Mejia is going to open up uh, some doors for a lot of those guys. We're going to see, probably see them more on depth charts and probably hear a lot more about them uh, as the months move on and going into the off season. We start looking at uh, uh, prospect uh, depth charts heading into uh, the 2019 season. That's where I think that's where we'll really start to see uh, things. Uh, the real shift in the farm system and what things look like for the Indians moving forward uh, in the post-Francisco uh, Mejia era. I'm excited for kind of both sides. In one sense, I think it's a re- it's a fresh start for Francisco Mejia, and now he gets to go to the Padres system and be a catcher. You know, AJ Preller, the GM of the Padres, always said uh, already said that Francisco Mejia is going to catch. He's going. He's at AAA. He's playing games at AAA. You got to figure the Padres are going to work him in at that position, and they're going to keep him there. And you know what? If that's the way they want to play him, great. Good for him, and good for that organization. On the flip side, if you're the Indians, you get not just one, but two relievers that you desperately need, um, and it only costs that one prospect. So it, the trade itself, yeah, we're not going to know who the winners and losers are for a long time. But in any sense, it makes total sense for either side to make that deal. And you got to wish Francisco Mejia the best of luck. Yep, absolutely. So uh, moving ahead now, we got a couple of injury uh, updates to pass along here. Obviously, the big story is that Bradley Zimmer, who of course has been back in AAA, uh, is out 8 to 12 months following uh, shoulder surgery to repair a torn labrum in his throwing shoulder. Uh so he's out 
obviously the rest of this year, but it could extend into most of, if not all of next year, depending on how long his rehab is following this injury uh, and this surgery. So who knows what that's going to look like. But it obviously puts a uh, a decent-sized crimp in the... uh, uh, India's outfield depth, especially now that Lonnie Chisenhall is also out for potentially the rest of this year, pending free with him pending uh, free agency, and then you got Brantley, a, a pending free agent as well, and Brandon Geyer. Uh, with Zimmer out for a while, it's really going to uh, uh, test the outfield depth for the Indians over this year and possibly into next year as well. But the big question is, was Zimmer out for that long? Uh, is Does that mean it's Greg Allen's time to, to really uh, seize the opportunity to play center field every day in Cleveland if, he's, if he is given that opportunity, which I don't see why he wouldn't at this point, uh, given that the Indians don't really have uh, a decent center field options right now. I mean, you got Rajay Davis and Tyler Nicklin, but those guys aren't long-term solutions. Uh, you would think that Greg Allen has to be up back up in Cleveland at some point, so so we'll have to see. But uh, Zimmer out uh, eight to twelve months, and then uh, what does this mean for Greg Allen uh, for the immediate and possibly the long term future? Well, I mean, it just sucks. The the Zimmer news sucks. There's no other way to put it because you thought that after last season, what we saw, and I remember writing about him in the off season about how kind of later in 2017, he had this kind of renaissance with um, making contact on on breaking balls, and he started to figure out how to hit off-speed pitches, and and then you thought 2018 would kind of be a settled-down season for him, and with the injury, of course, that's put on hold for quite a long time. I mean, this injury that he sustained, it's going to sideline him for almost a year, almost a calendar year, and, you know... The Indians obviously have to have some kind of contingency plan now. So you bring up Greg Allen as a topic of discussion, not literally bringing him up. But in 70 career games in the majors, Greg Allen's hitting 213. He has a 253 on base. Um, it's not really coming together at the plate for him in Cleveland. But in the minors, he's kind of proved himself. You know, we've talked about him obviously over the past couple of seasons as a future center fielder, as a top-of-the-order guy. You know, he hit 295 back in 2016. 2017, he floated around uh, between uh, between Akron, and then obviously he made his major league debut in Cleveland. He had 267 in Akron that season, so a little bit of a dip. And then, and then this season in 2018, um, of course, floating between Cleveland and Columbus, He's hitting 306 in Columbus in 39 games, but in Cleveland he's hitting only 209. So where does this parody find this happy medium? Where does it kind of mesh into maybe something in between, or you know, where does it come together for Greg Allen in Cleveland? Is the ultimate question because he's absolutely proved that he can play in the minor leagues. He, he really doesn't have anything else to prove. I don't think, at least, in the minor leagues. But until he starts producing on a consistent level in Cleveland, I don't think he's going to get that consistent playing time. You know, we've talked about Rajay Davis in the past about you know why do you, why would you keep Davis and Allen on the roster at the same time? You know, essentially one and the same player. Well, the Indians chose to just send Greg Allen back down to Columbus. I think that 
this does open the window a little bit for Greg Allen. Um, but at the same time, when you look at the Indians' depth chart, Chisholm Hall's down. Obviously, Zimmer's down for a long time. You're down to Geyer and Brantley and Naquin and Melky Cabrera. I mean, quite honestly, in I think the Indians' outfield situation is, is quite a mess. And if Greg Allen can't step up to be that option, then the door is definitely open for him. But it's a matter of him actually producing when he gets that playing time. He just hasn't done it yet. Um, so, I mean, there's obviously going to be options he is, the Indians will examine, whether it's bringing in uh, a waiver deal or a non-waiver deal or going to grab a free agent. Or I just saw they signed, um, who was it, Field from the race system today to a minor league deal. So yeah. they're looking at options right now, and maybe part of that is because Greg Allen just hasn't figured it out while he was in Cleveland. Yep, and uh, there's a whole – uh, trade side of this uh, discussion that we had already started uh, talking about and on smoke signals I'm sure we'll get to more as uh, the trade deadline draws ever closer but uh, as far as what the current options are for the tribe um, uh, Greg Allen is obviously on paper the best one for center field in the uh, in the organization uh, if he's given the shot and I, I believe that if he were given that chance you know bat to have him bat, uh, to have him bat ninth and uh, play center field every day. Have him be a nice speed option at the bottom of the lineup, and he obviously can put the ball in play and get on base uh, if given more of, more of a chance to prove himself. I think he'll at least be serviceable in in that role. So again, it all comes down to whether or not he gets that chance and that opportunity. So. Uh, that will remain to be seen, but uh, yeah, with Zimmer being out, I think that uh, that it not just even though it doesn't really change things with the big league roster, um, with the lack of depth that the Indians have right now, I think that it changes things for uh, the immediate future because they, with Davis heading to free agency and likely not coming back next year, and then like I said, the others Chisholm Hall, Brantley, Geyer, uh, all pending free agents for the time being. They need to start looking toward the future and uh, and starting in 2019. And I think that uh, bringing up Greg Allen and giving him some playing time to let him get acclimated to the major leagues more, I think that's uh, that's a uh, a good move by the Indians for their future. So I hope they real they can realize that and uh, give him the shot he deserves. You know, while we're here at this little crossroads. What do you make of this Johnny Field signing? Just a little background. First off, he's listed on the 40-man roster uh, right now. He's on Columbus's roster, obviously. Um, Fifth-round pick in 2013 by the Rays. He's 26 years old. Uh, this season in uh, AAA ball, excuse me, he's only played 10 games in AAA, so he's hitting 351 in those 10 games. He's played 62 games with the Rays in, in Tampa, and he's hitting 213 in those games. So kind of a similar scenario is what it looks like. He's not really putting it together so much in the majors, but he's been mashing AAA pitching. Um, he's hitting 351 in his last 10 uh, in the International League. So what do you make of the Indians going to get Johnny Field on that kind of a deal? I mean, 26 years old, former fifth-round pick. He's got his first taste of the majors this year, and, you know, it's – 
hasn't done much, uh, but you don't expect any rookie to be able to do that. But obviously he did pretty well in his brief time in AAA this year. Uh, has good numbers, solid numbers overall uh, throughout his minor league career. He has a little bit of pop. He can hit uh, probably around 10, 15 homers a year. Uh, with maybe uh, 50, 70 RBIs. A um, little bit of speed, too. He's got a uh, season high uh, in 2014 was 23 steals. Um, so he's kind of like a, a solid all-around type of player. Maybe a good uh, depth fourth outfielder type. I mean, I'm looking at his uh, his fielding splits now, and he's seen time uh, in all three uh, outfield positions at one time or another, most of them being in center field, but he can play all three outfield positions. Uh, I don't know if I see uh, a very big things for him in the future, uh, but as far as him being just another solid depth option for the Tribe, uh, I say good on them picking him up, and uh, you can never... You can never have too much depth, and with the Zimmer uh, injury, they obviously need another outfielder in Columbus, and depending on how he plays down there, he could uh, work his way up to Cleveland at some point. But here's hoping that it, and a way I hope it doesn't get to that, because I hope that they're uh, looking ahead to having a trade in mind so they can fill that outfield spot in that in that sense. So uh, mm-hmm. so we'll see. But uh, uh, field, uh, you know, nothing in Incredibly special to based on the numbers, but obviously pretty solid uh, across the board, and uh, can do some things for the Indians probably if given the chance. So, yeah, not a not a bad pickup. I don't think so either, and I wonder because Yandy Diaz obviously spent some time with the club in the Texas series. They're not really trying him in the outfield. I wonder if there's anything going on there, if there's any specific reason as to why they're not really giving Diaz that shot in the outfield. Yeah, I, the Yandy Diaz thing, I, I, I don't even know where to begin with that. I mean, he's already been sent back to, to Columbus after uh, putting together a, a really good uh, stretch of games in Cleveland, uh, hitting the ball. There's something going on there about I, I don't really want to get into tonight because I feel like we could do probably a whole show on that. And Right. But anyway, uh, and, there's, and there's just so much about that situation we don't know. We can't we, we can't explain why uh, the Indians are calling him up and sending him right back down again, despite the numbers he's put up. Uh, it's it, it's it's very perplexing to say the least. Uh, the other uh, injury, though, to talk about, uh, kind of a big prospect injury that nobody's nobody's really talking about right now. That but that's because the news hasn't really broke on a wide scale. Uh, George Valera, who's uh, outfielder, uh, one of the Indians' top international prospects uh, in this organization, and he's been out since late June uh, for an undisclosed reason. Well, it turns out, uh, at least according to uh, at least according to uh, Eric uh, Longenhagen, who uh, uh, works for, of course, writes for Fangraphs and a little bit free ESPN. But he thought he tweeted out saying that uh, Valera had suffered a fractured hamate bone, which of course is a common injury among uh, players and hitters in baseball. Uh, it's more of a stress injury where you know just the constant uh, wear and tear on of swinging the bat on somebody's hand just can fracture one of those bones. And uh, I, I don't know off the top of my head exactly how much, but uh, I would say. I, from memory, maybe roughly six to eight weeks Valera is looking at. So 
with the season, minor league season uh, coming to a close soon, I don't know if he's going to be uh, able to come back by season's end, but we'll see. But uh, obviously a tough break for Valera since he was uh, playing pretty well in Arizona in his first uh, taste of the of of ball, uh, professional ball and uh, baseball playing in the United States. So uh, we'll see, monitor the situation, see how uh, he progresses, and uh, we wish him the best in his recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And just to give a little background on George Valera and who he is, because some, um, you know, whether you're a fan of the Indians minor league system or whether you're just an Indians fan in general, you may not have heard of this guy. He's 17 years old only, which I think is outstanding considering he's a pretty much consensus top 10, maybe 12 prospect in the system. And that's including uh, outfielders like Andrew Kalika, like Quinton Holmes, who the Indians spent a uh, their first draft pick on last year, like Oscar Gonzalez, who already has plugged in some significant time in the um, system. That's including those guys. Uh, Mitch Longo, and, and he's right around the Connor Capel range as well. So that just speaks volumes about how scouts are perceiving George Valera. Um, and only 17 years old, once again, like you said, he's hitting in the Arizona League. He's batting 333. He has... Uh, six hits and 18 at-bats in six games in the Arizona League. And, yeah, if this does sideline him, that's obviously unfortunate. But at the same time, he's 17. <laughs> so it's not like they're losing so much uh, within the system and he's not missing, you know, as far as we know, he's not going to miss significant time in the offseason. Maybe he gets some fall league reps. Um it does. It is unfortunate because you would you would like to see him playing, and who knows if the scrappers are in, uh, and they should be in postseason contention within the next month. Maybe Valera would have been a nice little add-in to that roster to make that final postseason push and not only get him the experience, but to add that talent to the scrappers roster. So either way, it's it, it's not a great scenario, but you have to look at silver linings here. He's so young. And he's just in the infancy in his professional baseball career. And this injury is not going to keep him, you know, uh, he's, it's not going to keep him shelved for a year or anything like that. So kind of take it for what it is right now. Of course, we'll see where he's at when this injury comes back. Maybe he does log another game or two towards the end of the season, maybe in, in late August or if there's some time in September, like I said, with the scrappers. It's it's an interesting prospect, and it's something definitely to monitor as we continue and even get into the end of the season. Yep, so we'll keep an eye on both those guys uh, uh, in their injury situations. Zimmer, obviously a long, lot longer road ahead of him, but we'll monitor both him and Valera and see how uh, see how they progress, and hopefully Valera is back soon because I'm, I am really excited to see him play and, and play – hopefully soon at an affiliated level because I think more people deserve to know what kind of guy this uh, what kind of player this guy can be because uh, the, the hype on him is, is has been legitimate for a while now and it's time to it's time to put some uh, numbers and some performance with the, with the uh, the hype he's had so looking forward to that um, well Corey we know we spent a lot of time talking about the Mejia stuff which we did, which we should have it was uh, interesting to get to all of that um but right now we're getting toward the end of the show, so that means it's time to get to our Farm Report Player of the Week. And I understand, Corey, that some congratulations may be in order. I Listen, I'm sorry because you had him <laughs> last week. I picked Jose Nelson. He won New York Penn League Batter of the Week. I, we're spoiling it early. He's our Farm Report Player of the Week. He absolutely 
tore it up this week for Mahoning Valley. Um, they were on the road at uh, Auburn and Batavia, two really good division teams. And all he did was hit a pair of home runs, drive in eight runs, and hit 440. So, look, you had him last week. I kind of vultured it this week. That's all I can say. Yep, well, you're starting to open up a little bit of a lead now in these Player of the Week standings. I got to really step up my game here. So, uh, yeah, Jose Nelson, six games, batted 440 with a, uh, a 1262 OPS, uh, six runs scored, 11 hits and 25 at-bats. That's pretty impressive right there. Uh, two homers, three doubles, nine RBIs in six games. And uh, he didn't walk at all, but he only struck out five times. So, uh Doing really well there. He's been doing pretty well for a while now, so uh, really good to see him turn things up this year. And because uh, I know he was, uh, he he he. Was, I don't know if he was a like a high end pick, but uh, he was. I think he did get some hype coming out of the draft a couple years ago. So good for him, and good good to see him kind of helping lead the scrappers. Him now that Palacios is up in Lake County, him and uh, Tyler Freeman have kind of led the charge offensively. Uh, for the scrappers who, as you said at the top of the show, are now back on top as far as the uh, best record in the New York Penn League. So uh, congrats to him on both the New York Penn League and uh, the uh, Farmport Player of the Week, and uh, well-deserved on both on both fronts. Uh, as far as our picks are concerned, or at least my pick, we already know how Corey's pick did, but uh, I, was, I didn't do too bad, to be fair to me, because... Uh, Kirk McCarty uh, continued to pitch well for the captains, uh, firing five and two-thirds innings of one-run ball, uh, allowed only five hits. He did walk four, but he also struck out five, so that's good for a 159 ERA. McCarty's really stepped things up in the second half, and he continued to do so this week. So not a bad pick by me, but obviously not uh, good enough to surpass uh, Josea Nelson, who, uh, as we both have uh, acknowledged, is putting together a really good season uh, for the Scrappers, and we'll see uh, what the future holds in store for him. But, uh, well, Corey, you won again this week, so you uh, get the honors of picking first. This is this is really hard because now I feel pre- I, I feel a little bit of pressure. I know I shouldn't, but um, I just kind of do. I think I might stick in Mahoning Valley and kind of ride this wave. And you you threw his name out there, and you got me thinking about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with Tyler Freeman this week. Um, he's leading the Penn League in batting average. He raised it to I believe 362 today, um, or something in that range. He's been he's been on it pretty much all season. Consistently, the number two the number two hitter in Jim Pankovitz's lineup, table setter, has been playing shortstop, second base, really just all around solid player and. He's been pretty consistent uh, throughout the season, so I think I might lock. I might stick with that Mahoning Valley wave, and I'm going to lock Tyler Freeman in this week. Interesting. Um, I've been thinking about this, and there's only one mo- week left in the in the month of July, which is hard to believe. We're already heading into the final mo- full month of the minor league season, which is I, it's, I can't even uh, fathom that mm-hmm. summer and the season's going by so fast, but. Uh, We've had a lot of fun talking prospects in the meantime, but anyway, since there's only one week left in July, the one guy who's really been uh, raking since July's been going on, 
that is, uh, of course, the aforementioned Eric Haas, and I think that it's going to uh, continue to do so. I think he's going to finish off the month strong, as strong as he started. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Eric Haas. He's already uh, won, I think, once or twice this year, but uh, based on this this month that he's had, but I think it's going to continue uh, over this next week, and he's going to finish off uh, July strong. So. I'll go the up other end of the farm system and say Eric Haas will be player of the week next week. And I wonder how he's processing this whole Mejia deal. Because now, and you can't tell me he's not thinking about the fact that he's number three now. He's the next minor league catcher to get that call to Cleveland. He is on the cusp of his major league debut. So I wonder what what's going on through his mind. I wonder how he's responding. I wonder what's going on in the Clippers clubhouse and how his coaches and his coaches and his uh, battery mates are perceiving him because he's talented and like you said, pretty much all this season his name has been mentioned in this podcast for very positive reasons. So yeah, I I, I like that pick a lot because I think now if he starts hitting then some Indians fans' eyes are going to be open. It's like, wow, we've had this guy all along behind Francisco Mejia. It might help, you know, kind of if you're really, you know, if you're really adamant about why we trade Mejia, you know, that kind of school of thought. Maybe that'll help loosen that up a little bit. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't dislike that pick one bit. All right, so uh, I got Eric Haas. You got Tyler Freeman. We'll see how. Uh... I think shape up next week, see if I can start to gain some ground back. But uh, congrats again to Hosea Nelson on a job well done this weekend, a continued uh, strong effort this season. Uh, uh, Corey, a few minutes left in the show. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, what do you got? I'm really hoping Will Benson can turn his season around soon. Um, we haven't talked about him a lot, mostly at all this season. It's been very seldom we've mentioned Will Benson on the show. Um, obviously first round pick in 2016. He's at Lake County still. He's batting a buck 68 in 87 games. Now 15 home runs, that's fine. He's showing that power, but only 37 RBIs to go with it. Seven doubles. He's not really showing that power. Um, he, he's, Walks, his walks and strikeouts may be a little skewed. You know, he's at 108 strikeouts to 62 walks. Point is, he's having a really, really, really slumpy season. And for a guy as talented as I saw him last season in Mahoning Valley, where he hit only 238, but he was a threat in the middle of that lineup. He tied for the league leading home runs with 10. So we know he's got power. We know he's got some speed and in those intangibles, but he just has not put it together this season, so I'm hoping he can turn that around soon. Yep. Uh, he's really struggled since the uh, All-Star break, and you know he did participate in the Home Run Derby, and there's always that question of whether or not that uh, may have messed with his swing or his mechanics or not, but I don't know. We'll see, but uh, yeah, I hope Will Benson, uh, you know, he's shown good power. He's shown a, a better walk rate this year. But, yeah, other than those two things, he's still struggling to put things all together. And we'll see over the next couple of years to come if that, uh, if anything uh, comes of that. And he finally comes uh, to fruition with all of his tools and talents, which he does possess. There's, there's a lot to tap into there. It's just a matter of him actually doing it. 
Uh, my final thought this week is going to be a little bit of a congratulations to uh, to Tyler Krieger, uh, infielder slash outfielder for the Akron Rubberducks, who as of tonight on uh, Wednesday extended his or Tuesday rather ex- extended his uh, hit streak. His current hit streak, uh, I believe, to 18 games as it stands right now. So he has a hit every single game so far this month, except for uh, I think the first day of the month he didn't have a hit. So uh, all but one game played in July, he has a hit, and his hit streak is now up to 18. So uh, congrats to him and keep it going. He's really swinging the bat better over the last – in June he swung the bat better, and he's really swinging it well in July. So start, really starting to turn his season around. If there's one tribe prospect um, that has just been captain consistent ever since he really started throughout the system, you could put Tyler Krieger's name at the top of that list or near the top of that list because as as high as he was drafted, as fast as he's progressed through the system, he's really proven himself. It's, it's taken some time, granted, but he's proven himself at every level in some case whether it was showing versatility um, in Akron or it was showing power in Lynchburg or hitting for average in Lake County. He's kind of done a little bit of everything at each level, but he kind of picked one thing and ran with it at, the, at those levels. So I, I think Tyler Krieger is still a special prospect and, um, quite frankly, one of the more underrated ones in the system because he's starting to just – at least in my perspective, I'm glad you brought him up because he's perked my eye as one of those guys that you don't hear about a lot, but at the same time, he's not exactly slumping a a lot or he's not, you know, batting around the Mendoza line too often. He's really consistent as a prospect. Yeah, I totally agree. And hopefully that his uh, recent turn in fortunes at the plate uh, continues through the rest of the year because he's starting to, his numbers are starting to uh, show the uh, recent hot streak, the results of his recent hot streak, and they're starting to get a little bit better. I think he's batting around 250 now and uh, really starting to see those numbers uh, elevate a little bit more. So hopefully by the end of the year they're at more respectable levels because after last season in Akron, you know, he batted I think only around 220 or something, really could never get it going. And uh, now hopefully this second half surge can be uh, a benefit to him throughout the rest of the year. Rest of the season, and we'll see how things go. Uh, the uh, rest of the the rest of this campaign and heading into August. So uh, uh, sounds good, Corey. Uh, great stuff tonight. Glad we got to uh, talk uh, the Mejia deal and uh, give the uh, minor league perspective on things. And I think we're both pretty simpatico on how this deal affects the Indians and in the, in the farm system. It's tough to give up on a top prospect like that, but you know the Indians have done it before and they seem to have recovered. De- decently well. We'll see how things pan out in the years to come since it's going to be a long process before we figure out exactly how the uh, the organization will respond, but uh, again, that's something we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Before we go, Corey, anything you want to plug? Um, If you kind of missed it here, this was before the second half started, so it might be a little dated article, but I still think it's worthy of whether you want to refresh the stats or check back on it. I talked about Trevor Bauer and his legitimacy as a American League Cy Young Award candidate because I feel like he is at least top three, if not top two, 
and he's not really getting that national recognition for it. Obviously, Corey Kluber on the Indians roster is a big is a big deal, but if you look closely, at least when I looked at it, Bauer's having a better season than Kluber, and it's not close, at least I don't think. Um, and then when you compare him to the guys like Sale and Verlander and Severino, he's he's putting up comparable seasons, and across the board it might even be better. So definitely check back for that um, about Trevor Bauer. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a piece worth looking into uh, if you haven't uh, read it already. Um, as for me, I'll be back with the uh, four thoughts this week after um, hopefully what will let be the last uh, sabbatical of the season with that. And uh, we'll see. It, I'll have some more stuff on the uh, Mejia deal, my own personal uh, reactions to that and how it affects the uh, farm system and everything we discussed tonight um, but with more detail and more stats and uh, all that all that good stuff. So check, be sure to check that out. That will be posting on Thursday. And uh, I'll also have – I have the Ducks notebook that's up, which talks about Krieger's hit streak. Uh, the Hillcast notebook will post later this week, and I'll also have a Diamonds in the Rough uh, this weekend. So uh, be sure to check that out. Be sure to check out uh, uh, our other podcast, Smoke Signals, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, talking about the Mejia deal, uh, giving our immediate reactions with our friend Justin Lada. Uh, really good show to, to – uh, give a listen to and uh, get uh, as we get into the uh, nitty gritty of the uh, numbers and the the facts and everything behind the trade and uh, how things are uh, looking for the Indians uh, as far as the immediate reaction is concerned Uh, so check that out be sure to follow us on Twitter I'm at Jake D Baseball Uh, Corey's at CD Christen you can follow the show on Twitter at Smoke Signals IBI you can follow the site on Twitter at uh, official underscore IBI. Uh, get all our links, our discussion, and uh, everything there. It's uh, great stuff. And uh, if anytime you want to talk uh, prospects, uh, you can hit up Corey and I on Twitter, and we'll always be willing to answer your questions as best we can. So uh, until then, however, and until next time we convene here for Corey Christen and uh, the Farm Report Podcast, I'm Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at smokesignalsibi, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.